This episode of Reasonably Spontaneous Conversation is brought to you in part by Clay Boykin Life and Business Coaching, because we all get stuck at times. For more information, visit clayboykin.com. By Janelle Bean, for fun and engaging children's books with cute and colorful characters. For more information, visit janellebean.com. And by Wise Owl Organizing, simply set up for you. Organizing consulting and clarity coaching, virtual or in person. For more information, visit wiseowlorganizing.com. Hello world, it's me, Dennis, and welcome to part two of my reasonably spontaneous conversation with writer, tech historian, and futurist, Benj Edwards. We ended the last RSC agreeing that we live in interesting times, to put it mildly. Here is how we picked up that conversation. Can, can you take me over what, over the, let's, let's say the past 10 years, or just give me some span of time, when you have changed your mind about something, something that you thought was for sure, and you went, oh, I'm, that's not true. And then your, your own learning, uh, take me th through that process of when Benj Edwards goes through a, go, goes through a, oh, wow, wow, that's different than I thought it was. Yeah, I think this is a great question, because it does play into what we were just talking about, which is that I think one of the biggest switches in my brain was uh, maybe five, six, seven, eight years ago, I don't know exactly when, when I had always thought of technology as an unstoppable force for good, basically, like as a almost like an ideological built-in thing, because I my dad was an engineer, electronics engineer, and he built things that helped people. And um, I grew up with technology that was created with a real um, San Francisco and Silicon Valley hippie uh, ideology of helping others and charity and sharing and, you know, and, and, you know, making money, but helping people along the way. And then uh, in the right with the rise of social media, I started to see, well, wait a minute, you know, this can go too far, you know, it can start being destructive uh, with like Facebook and, and, you know, maximizing for, uh, agitation and um you know arousal of of like anger and you know those emotions you know they make profit on people's anger and and agitation and engagement and that's their their product is they're selling you know agitation you know so and they've become extremely wealthy and powerful doing that does you know companies like facebook um up until recently anyway because Meta's not doing that great right now. They still are doing great, but you know their trajectory is no longer, it doesn't look like this anymore. Um, but I had a, you know, it was very disillusioning for me. I remember thinking about, I don't remember what particular event it was or anything. You could probably trace it back on Twitter when I first said something negative about, you know, social media or something. But I, there, I was very heartbroken about um, the fact that, I could no longer say that computer technology helped the world 
it's, it was starting to hurt the world, you know, starting to disrupt governments and disrupt um, our social systems. And that was really hard. It's really sad because I grew up with the rah-rah, this cool stuff is cool. This is good for everybody. It's fun. It's nice and everything. And then suddenly, well, all that stuff I had been championing, personal computer, which was always supposed to be great, has actually led to something that's not always great. So, um, that, so that, we have given, yeah. all right, so let's, all right, so we have given this, uh, I mean, we've seen this in Star Trek, right? When they give technology to a, to a, a uh, civilization that is not quite ready for it. And they, and so we see that, or we see that in some other, so we're at a, we're at a point. Are we ready for this technology? Are we ready? We've been given this gift. Are we mature enough as a species in our intellect and consciousness to handle it? Now, I know you can't answer that question, but what is, yeah. what is your inkling and, and thoughts uh, uh, about that? I think that we have always been disrupted by technology. Um, it's been like, I have this theory I've been working on for year, many years that is, I've always wanted to write about, but I never really got to it about consensus and how it's, uh, it's reliant. Consensus is reliant on like low bandwidth systems, basically. So the less information you have about other people, the more likely you are to think that they agree with you because everyone thinks that they think like you do kind of, you would assume, okay, so I know nothing about the world. I'm the sample size of one here. They're probably all like me. They probably do what I do, think what I think, right? But then suddenly you learn about your neighbor and they're like, well, they don't think like me. They do some slightly different stuff, but hey, we live in this area and we're kind of the same. I bet everybody's like this neighborhood, you know? And then it goes out to the city, mass communication is invented. Uh, we have, you know, everybody in the city, we got a newspaper, we got horses and carts and stuff, horses and carts that tell us things from little cities. And they're kind of, well, maybe they're not like us. And in fact, they don't worship the same variety of, you know, God. So let's kill them. And so there, that was their, that was technology, you know, breaking things apart. And they, there's a lot of uh, speculation. I, this is something I made up, but I think other people agree that the printing press was probably a, a, a cause for the Protestant Reformation and the wars that happened because uh, Protestantism couldn't have happened without a printed Bible that was mass produced that people could say, hey, that's not the rules. It's written right here before they had to believe in the church. So um, then people could change that and have their own version and then it split up. You know, like every time there's a communications revolution, we break up into smaller groups. So I think that's happened before with radio, television, telegraph, uh, you know, mail, Pony Express, every internet, everything has caused some sort of agitation that sort of like breaks us apart into smaller um, units of consensus. And I feel like we're at a point where we're really close to not being able to maintain really large nations anymore that have the same, this like a, same ideology because they're just too big with too many micro um, cultures that don't agree with each other and we, we we started with a you know federation of states that was supposed to be like okay we have our state culture here and this state culture and we just sort of get along when we need to do uh, 
you know, like common defense and interstate trade. But over time, the, the central government has gotten so strong that it just doesn't fit everybody anymore. And I'm, I'm worried about that with our country, for example. And I think it's from technology. We weren't ready. We were never ready for any of these things that happened. But, you know, when is anybody ready for anything? The, the thing is, is, um, you know, biology, uh, evolution and, and things like that, uh, organisms die all the time and they suffer. And you only see that when you step back. Nobody wants to be the, the fish that gets eaten by the bigger fish. But in the, the scheme of things, that's happening all the time. And we've been, as humans, have lived through all these tumultuous periods of time caused by uh, the almighty dollar of productivity you know, demanding more output and along the way and, you know, and, and the communications revolutions in between. And so I feel like, no, we're not ready. The difference is that yes, those disruptions will happen faster than ever before because of this acceleration. And um, yeah, I mean, I think we're gonna live through some really difficult, difficult times. Um, I, the only hope I'd say is like maybe if everyone really makes their own micro reality, eventually maybe they could just live in that bubble and be happy there and not have to fight with other people. That's the only thing I can think of. <laughs> well, I, I, I think of this, Benj, and, and, and because this is so, it's such a fascinating thought because I think of, okay, what is this, this being that is a human being? And, and because I've met so many people and I've really felt like that I have, I have looked into the soul of the human being and there is something positive there there is something constructive collaborative tribal communicative the, the, this is what, what i find is that when we get into i have found is that and again you have to understand factor in that i'm a blooming optimist so you know mm -hmm. make sure that you, you have that is that that i believe that humans actually that that we're going to get through this that there is going to be that that need to collaborate to because i've always found that dysfunctional behavior always comes out of fear it never comes out of it never comes out that human beings are naturally i look at the kids you look at a kid in the grocery store and you look at and you go my god i know the world's going to be okay when you see that these these bright lights that we, it's like we get trained out of that but i believe it's baked into the human dna here's what yeah I, I agree with you in general. Humans will persevere and survive, but our systems will change and they've always changed. Like our governments will change. We may be at the twilight of America as a, as a, as a union of 50 states. I mean, that's just something, it can't last forever. It may, it, and so that's what's scary to a lot of people. They say the world is ending, but it's not really the world. It's just our government system or our cultural systems that are changing. And the status quo is being destroyed. Because like even at my at my age, I'm 41. I grew up in the 80s with a certain type of media reality of things were that way. And they're just not that way anymore. So my world is already broken and destroyed by technology. Um, and that's probably it happened with every single generation through history <laughs> going back. But, but the, th the fact is, is that you were there when it happened. Yeah. You were in the room when it happened in actually during the process when it happened and documenting history as it happens. Yeah, that's, I I don't know why, but I wrote that down. I think when I started my blog in 2005, I said something like we are, 
in the middle of the most important transition in human history since whatever, like the invention of fire or something. Even in 2005, I was thinking that because of, you know, what I read in Ray Kurzweil and what I was thinking about the, the information, the computer as becoming from uh, a separate object and box to something that's integrated first into our society and our economy and then eventually into ourselves. And so we're already partly there with the smartphone, like we talked about, um, and just augmenting us and our intelligence and our productivity. And I wanted to say, like, I realize I'm sort of part of the, the last generation that grew up without the internet when they were kids. You know, I started using the internet maybe early, a few years early, like 94 or something. Um, <clears throat> but, I still went to libraries and looked up books with card catalogs, you know, for example, we had paper maps, we got lost, you know, there are a lot of things that I still knew, but so I would, well, the weird thing is that, so I look at my kids and I look at me and I have more in common with my parents' generation now growing up in the forties, fifties and sixties than my kids' generation, like in terms of the technology and the tools we use, which is something I never expected. I thought it was like, wow who could the 80s and then the 50s they're so different but now it's like you look back they had the same thing they had a telephone they rode their bikes around the parents didn't know where they were they could do anything they wanted i was like that as a kid but my kids are not everyone knows where they are everyone's connected all the time and it, um and every and there's corporations conspiring to track your every move and understand everything you ever do in your whole life so they can make money on it which is a diff whole different set of criteria than when I was a kid where they were still pretending to do good things, at least mm -hmm. while making money. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. Well, let me, let me ask you as a father uh, very quickly, because I, I have about a thousand more hours of, of questions, but do, do you feel that I, I talked to a librarian uh, and read about a librarian who talked about that we were we have digital immigrants and digital natives and that the digital natives, they they were actually wired differently, that the brain has a different wiring than those of us who have to go from linear to digital and make that translation as if I was you know, had to make the translation in language all the time that it, there's a difference in it. Does that hold any, any uh, intrigue to you? Yeah, I think, I think that's probably correct. There's, you know, from my knowledge of science and neurology, there is a period of time when babies learn very rapidly and their, their, their brain is developing. And, it, and that period of time, what you feed it, what you feed them is going to determine a lot of uh, things about them you know I know I talked about genetics earlier there's a big component of that but there's also the the feeding during that period of uh, how much you what language you teach them you know what skills you teach them how much you love them and care for them how much they feel fear and things like that and how quickly they get information could be one of those things so my kids grew up with uh, I guess they had iPads for playing games their attention span is is microscopic but it was it's all parents of my generation now it was too hard to resist uh letting their kids occupy themselves with this amazing rectangle exactly that and how that 
Well, when you say attention span is, uh, is microscopic, could they within that microscopic time observe and learn faster than we could in a, in a much larger time span that they were just truncating it out that they can get it? And, or, or, is, or is it the same, is attention span something that is immutable? I think it's, yeah, it's possible. Uh, I've seen like the speed of other, just generally, this is a weird different thing, but the speed of people's brains seems to be different. And sometimes it's based on where you live, like cultures, like in the South, people seem to think kind of slower. They mm -hmm. talk slower. They act slower. In the, in the North, for example, they seem to act faster. And I honestly, people could say, oh, that's just how they talk and stuff. But in my experience, they, you can overwhelm people down here really quickly if you talk way too fast. So I have to, I'm from the South, but I have to slow down and really spell things out for some people here. And in the North, then they're like, did, 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 like a machine gun. So that is probably uh, like a cultural thing that was taught to them when they were kids. Uh, by their parents, you know, and it's passed down. I believe you could probably probably take someone from the south and raise them in a northern family, and they could think that fast, and vice versa. It's a it's like how they were exposed to that culture around them, um, mm -hmm. because we are all we are all like neurological uh, like networks and machines that are that like absorb. We're training kids when they're little, like we train AI now. You know, yep. sure it's different on the details and everything, but I think it's a pretty good metaphor. Um, I've learned a lot about myself too, just thinking about how AI works these days. Um, just like what? Well, like uh, how, how I think and why I think certain things in those ways. And it seems to be like, yes, it is like training a neural network, like, and, and your memory, uh, you know, what you reinforce sticks with you and what you don't reinforce you lose but it fades you know it's not a on or off thing and those neural networks work a lot in the same way where they have a general idea of something and the stronger you train it on an idea uh, like a certain set they call it overfitting if you train it too much on one thing it can only spit out one thing kind of you know one type of thing you want it to be sort of halfway between be accurate enough to produce what you want but less uh, a less amount of accuracy enough to uh, produce novel output that's interesting and so we're probably somewhere in between there too uh, with our brains like we're very fuzzy knowledge like of uh and i also feel like i see now like the layers of our brains like i think science supports the ideas that different parts of our brains you know they have different functions and they sort of act semi-independently and then sort of together and, you know, a thought can bubble up from some other part of your brain into your consciousness. That's, that's That part was always thinking about what's going on. It might not have been part of your internal dialogue the whole time, like the language part of your brain, but it was still there and thinking and, and like these layers of, of, of thought. And uh, yeah, it seems like, you know, the neural network, a lot of people say, you know, Obviously, it's not exactly like the human brain. It's a, it's like a, it's inspired by it. These uh, neural networks that people are using, but it seems like a pretty, pretty good metaphor to me. Like I'm sure there's something more accurate will be invented eventually that's even closer to it. But for right now, it's 
it's it it seems to jive with my experience as a as a human being, which is crazy. You do know? you do you come up against your own conscious and unconscious biases? You know, when they come up, I mean, do you rec do you get a chance to recognize them and go, whoa, what is that really about? Yeah, sometimes. Um, I don't know. I grew up with, you know, I guess cultural values that were created mostly either by my parents or through television. Mm -hmm. And so um, there's a lot of, uh, you know, when new cultural ideas come around, uh, like, I don't know, what's a good example? Um, I don't know, like there, there's been a lot of growth involved with recognizing um, like different, like the the, uh, the whole gender conversation right now, for example, is something that was very alien to me and probably a lot of people in my generation because uh, we didn't grow up with that knowledge put into us. You know, that was not part of our training that there's a spectrum of genders, for example. And so there's a new idea here that says there's a spectrum of genders. And so you can easily fall back. I believe there's a spectrum of genders. I understand that. But part of that brain that was trained in 1982 or whatever still can come back and say, well, this is kind of weird, you know, but even if it's wrong, you catch yourself and you say, well, there is new information in time to like re-examine. And I think that also supports the layers of the brain where there's parts of you that are, you know, doing different things all at the same time. And I believe that you can have cognitive dissonance where you believe two opposing ideas <laughs> because you, you never stop to reconcile them completely. Uh, so. I, had, I had that happen to me when I was, uh, I grew up in the South and I mean, actually I'm 74. So I grew up during the Jim Crow era. I got a uh -huh. chance to see separate but equal to be able to see it from the white side to see. And, and I remember because we were culturally liberal and I thought I had really, that I was really had reconciled everything between uh, the races, the understanding that. And then I'm watching TV and I watch Captain Kirk kiss Uhura. Mm -hmm. And I had a visceral, physical reaction to that. Mentally, I was already there. I'd already dealt with it, but I had no idea that I had internal conscious biases that I, unconscious biases that I needed to deal with about the racial, about our, uh, racial awareness that that was there and I, and so I, they come up and they bite me yeah i i understand that completely having grown up in the south um it's very relatively conservative um you know interracial relationships were taboo even when i was a kid and um it doesn't you know it doesn't bother me at all today or anything but i understand that sort of you know because it was just part of the culture you breathe and I thought I was extremely liberal too. <laughs> Turns out there's always someone more liberal than you are. Um, and I look more like a, a centrist now. The I tell my, like when I meet people out in the country here, they're very conservative. I'm, someone tried to ask me what my political views are. I said, well, if I were in the country, you'd think I was liberal. If I'm in the city, you'd think I was conservative. Somewhere between there kind of like, I don't know if that makes any sense. Uh, but yeah, I, I try to be a moderate, um, but you know, for human rights and decency, obviously too. And, uh, so yeah, I understand. I, I love, I love the idea of decency. 
because yeah. that that to me is what is one of the things that is moving and, and i i believe that decency could be our savior you know the idea that treating one another decently uh seeing because when when i look out at at, at uh, elon musk and the way i do not see a lot of decency in the way he is treating that organization Mm-hmm. That, that there is yeah. that there is a decency or, or or when when I when I look at some of the political uh, the political uh, contests that the, the idea of decency how do we how do we value that and to see is it a, is it a, 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 an important commodity and an important part of it this is one of the reasons why I'm so I, I believe that we are over masculine and under feminine we need more women in because this is going to help to to increase the decency index. Yeah, decency right now is in short supply, obviously, because the, uh, you know, our society right now is running on that agitation machine. Like our media is is completely governed by algorithms, even if they don't realize it. Even the, the traditional news media is driven by what happens in the social media space. So decency doesn't get a lot of clicks, you know, it doesn't get a lot of, uh, ad, you know, engagement. And so it's not popular at this moment, but in that, the, the theory I was telling you about consensus, looking back at history, yes, I lined up some revolutions with things like the civil war was actually precipitated a lot by newspapers and the telegraph, but we're not still at civil war. Something happened to make that stop. And, you know, and I think that we will have periods of unrest, but what happens I think is we form into new cultural groups um, that are decent within themselves and maybe indecent to other groups. But that, that's sort of like we're at the we're at a stage of breaking apart the stasis that happened after World War II, you know, the, the, the 1950s type of like, you know, there could never be another Eisenhower, for example, like who's very moderate type of Republican guy, um, who's very liberal by today's standards. Um, and, but he was, a, a like, a you know, someone who could bring the country together and everyone respects him, even if they're not in the same party, that kind of thing. Um, I feel like we are, you know, every, this is, I'm rambling now, tangential, that, you know, cultural groups have to have their own rules to enforce their membership, basically, to survive. And we're seeing a lot of other groups rules and they're trying to impose their rules on each other and stuff. And what we need is just a sorting out of these types of groups again, and there can be a peace. The funny thing is I think that people are upset about like truth social or parlor or something existing like a conservative Twitter. I think that's a really good thing because if they can live in their group and the liberals can live in their group, this is this is the natural sorting. We we tried to push everybody together in the boat. Like you take random one random person all over the world, put them in the same boat, and make them live together. They're gonna fight because they don't share anything in common. And that's sort of what social media did. It threw everybody on earth into the same boat. And we are now. I think it's gonna have to separate again. We're like, okay, we don't get along. You guys hang out over there, talk your stuff. We'll hang out over here, talk our stuff, and that's okay. We meet in the middle when we need to like trade and buy and sell things and you know have defense and stuff. And I wish that could happen. You know, I'm hoping that's some kind of like new uh, equilibrium will exist. But the decency will only happen within those bubbles. I don't think it will happen between them. And uh, this question is, can our 
political system survived this kind of upheaval uh, that is, has never faced these kind of challenges before, um, especially if people start creating their own alternative realities that are believed by millions of people. I have no idea, you know, so. so yeah. I, I, it is a fact. Listen, thank you so much, Benji. I, I'm, I, can only ask that in the future when we get a, a chance when there have been some it, very interesting events, uh, events and advances that you might come and share with me again some of yeah, share sure. with us some of the uh, some of the opportunities yeah that would be great it's been really fun thanks for having me on oh, listen Appreciate thanks Benj, and we'll, we'll go ahead and post this up and we'll see everybody thank you for this wonderful time and uh, your attention for watching Benj and and me talk about the the future and so much I'm learning and so we'll see everybody next time. Bye bye. And scene, I'll cut it right there. Now I want to ask one thing, just evolutionary, evolutionarily, I have this intuition that AI is our way of creating the next evolutionary species that that's it. there's an evolutionary imperative that you know that however we went to homo habilis you know got it got into the you know whatever the 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 chimpanzees and the and the bonobos had that imperative to to move to the next one this is our opportunity to create the next level of species that is higher than us that we might not even fully recognize as alive because we don't have the consciousness ability to be able to do it like a bonobo might not have the consciousness ability to understand my, uh, you know, something that I care about. Mm -hmm. I think you're right. Something like that. Um, I think it even goes bigger than that. I had a thought recently where um, the universe sort of has these layers of like physics, chemistry, biology. And I think the next layer is information on top of that. So everything was built on the complexity of what came before. And we are creating the information layer right now that's, that runs on top of biology and run, runs above it, you know? And I, I think, we're, you know, our ultimate destiny is probably to, uh, you know, manipulate matter as if it were information. And I think that's, you know, if you just see technology going forever if we continue on our path i mean it seems inevitable that we'll figure out how to to do that mess with the rules of the universe and stuff like that so yeah i don't know if we'll be human you know on that way but who knows somebody, some intelligent creature will be doing it you know this episode of reasonably spontaneous conversations has been brought to you in part by in search of the new compassionate male for more information, go to newcompassionatemail.com.